These are Grindstaff Publishing Audio Files. Room to Rome, Chapter 8, Germany The sun shone bright upon my face as I left the hostel with music blasting in my headphones bolstering the confidence welling up deep within my core. It was relatively early in the morning, especially by tourist standards, and the sidewalks were free of the bustle and hurry which I had come to recognize as a Nyhoven district. Instead, many shopkeepers were sweeping their stoops or adjusting their sandwich boards in the ways that seemed to have worked for them in the past. The water in the canal winked an intense glimmer as I walked over a bridge and along my way into the downtown area of Copenhagen, past the city hall surrounded by corporate billboards and American fast food and coffee establishments, into the rush of people and traffic, and finally, into the traveling circus that was a central station. So many people, so many different nationalities and languages collided into a cacophony of sound distracting enough for even the most seasoned traveler to be nudged off kilter. With the confidence of a weary adventurer, I stepped forth into the chaos knowing full well I could conquer. After all, I had traveled throughout Scandinavia and lived to tell about it. Why couldn't I do the same on my solo expedition to the heart of Europe? It was that confidence which was making my sadness an overwhelming feeling of isolation and not having Reed by my side. The mask was paper thin, but I didn't know it until my third round around the station without seeing my bus listed in all the usual places. With a reassuring breath, I calmed myself down and worked up the courage to speak to one of the workers at the central station to ask for assistance. As nice as possible, I asked a Danish woman, uniform tucked neatly and hat pulled down tight, where I might find my bus. A rickety smile wavered on my face as she impolitely told me the bus I was looking for was a third-party outfit, and they didn't have anything to do with them, so I'd have to find it on my own. Once she finished, she promptly walked away to attend to one of the other poor souls which should be so unfortunate as to meet that woman in their time of need. With a panic, I looked at my phone and saw I only had 10 minutes until departure. Shit! I thought to myself as I tried to gather my bearings and not freak out. With a procession of deep breaths, I started to retrace my steps from when I purchased a ticket only a couple of hours before. As the minutes ticked by, my fingers raced across my phone screen until I found a map of the departure location marked by a green circle. According to the map, the bus was very close, so I hitched my small pack and ran out of the large doors of the station onto the bustling sidewalks filled with smiling families and angsty backpackers huddled en masse. Like a running back, breaking through the line, I split through the bystanders glancing quickly at my phone, gazed a direction which to follow and set off for the bus with beads of sweat mounting beneath my hairline. It was now only three minutes until departure and the bus was nowhere in sight. I'd already made one revolution around the station, crossed over the main tracks, descended a grimy staircase, and tried reading signs and symbols with little help. Finally, from a hundred yards away, I saw the green bus parked beneath a street sign which matched my ticket with the words Hamburg running along the front window. Sudden shock came over my body and I began walking, then jogging, then full-on sprinting toward my transport to a new land. With the bus getting closer, my nerves began to dissipate and joy spread throughout my head. I was going to make it. As I got to the opposite side of the street, the bus idling across, I saw the driver buckle his seatbelt and begin pulling the bus away from the curb. With a jolt, I yelled in my most confident voice, Stop! Please stop! But all I received in return was a driver looking me in the eyes with the most apathetic of stares, and with a shrug of his shoulders, he turned the wheel, guiding the bus slowly away. 
Like a character from a romantic comedy, I began sprinting as fast as I could along the bus. With my heart pounding and my thighs clenching, I chased the bus down from a block before he turned a corner and was out of my sight. I stood in the center of the road with tears in my eyes and my headphones dangling onto the dirty asphalt. It was my first true solo experience in Europe, and I had completely failed. Looking around, defeated, I pulled my headphones from the street and plodded toward the sidewalk. I stood there wanting to cry, wanting to give up and go home and call it a vacation. There had already been so much I had seen, why couldn't I just call up my mom and ask her for the money to bring me home to safety? Just then, an overwhelming desire surged deep within me, the same feeling which came to me when I was in 20-foot season Alaska or underneath a tractor in the August heat of eastern Oregon. It was a surge which put into perspective everything which was going on around me, and how important a situation, or better yet, how important my reaction to a current situation, was at a particular time and place. This feeling told me I wasn't just a person on vacation who screwed up and who could go home, but instead I was an adventurer, a backpacker on a pilgrimage to find out more about myself and to see pretty sights. I wiped the tears from my eyes and breathed deep while walking back to the central station. Like Reed had taught me before, I found the purchasing booth, bought a train ticket to Hamburg for three times more than my bus ticket had been, I vowed to never let that happen again, and waited patiently for the two hours to pass until I boarded the train. As the train left Copenhagen, I smiled wide, not from adventure but from pride. Not only had I failed my first solo duty in Europe by missing my bus, but I also had overcome the first obstacle of my solo journey. It is never the destination which makes the adventure, but the journey along the way and the fuck-ups one endures and overcomes which makes the ride a whole lot sweeter. Traveling through rural Denmark, my train soon found itself boarding a train which would take us across a wide channel into Germany. After the train boarded the ship, which was a strange feeling, hard to wrap my mind around, all the passengers exited the train and scattered throughout the ferry. I climbed to the top deck and watched as the ship left the shore of one country, sailed across the channel with the blue sky above and the crystal sun glistening off the water below, and within no time reached the shores of Germany. Like before, all the passengers boarded the train and we railed through countryside, which gave way to suburbs and finally to the bustling city of Hamburg. As Ree was a navigator in our duo, I hadn't thought to look into the location of my hostel or, for that matter, the location of anything in the city which I vastly underestimated in size. Instead, when I departed the train, I was met with an overwhelming rush of people speaking a rough-sounding language and a phone map which would not register. I stood along a wall right outside the train station watching as people spewed in and out of the doors, looking up at signs with impossible-to-read names and no idea where to begin walking toward my hostel, which I was doing in less than an hour. Gathering myself, I finally found a tourist shop and grabbed the free sightseeing map and used my hostel receipt to pinpoint its actual location. Off I went, trying my best to harness the energy which comes from new experiences through the clean streets of Hamburg, up hills, through city parks, and into a graffiti-strewn neighborhood. Between a painting of an anarchist symbol and some kind of punk art featuring a rusty bicycle and a musical instrument, far removed from playing quality, sat nestled a dingy hostel I would be calling home for the night. With mild trepidation, I ventured into the near-decrepit building's office and was met by a balding, scrawny man with a rough-looking face. I showed him my transport, then he began berating me for being late, which was fair, it was about two hours past when I said I would show up, and how lucky I was to not have my room given up in the meantime. In my head I thought how ridiculous that statement was, judging by the disarray of the outside, plus the inside mess, I couldn't see people clamoring to stay at his luxury resort of a hotel. 
Once the formalities were finalized, he escorted me up the rickety elevator which needed a key to operate, and along the dormitory halls, leaving me at the door with the first smile I'd seen from the man since arriving. I walked into the large room to find four single beds spaced far apart. Two of the beds had people on them. One was a handsome young guy from Turkey, and the other was a mousy Romanian of a similar age. We exchanged pleasantries, and I dropped my pack on a vacant bed. It wasn't long before we were all talking about ourselves. It turned out both young men were going to the same college, and both were studying political science. Due to the number of incoming students, there is a housing shortage on the campus, so many people found themselves living in hostels, such as our grand establishment, paying much more than they would at the school until a room opened up where a roommate could be found off campus. The two seemed okay with the situation, and talk quickly turned to the nature of how I had come to Hamburg. I told them all about my travels thus far and my ambition to see a vast amount of Europe in the upcoming months. They seemed vaguely interested, but their eyes really sparked when the Romanian asked about American politics. Is your country really serious about Donald Trump? It was the fall of 2015, and in a year's time America would elect its next president. So I had been preparing for this and other similar questions leading up to the European trip. The three of us debated politics, those of America and the rest of Europe, and I was impressed by how much both of the young men knew about my country, and how little, to an embarrassing degree, I knew of theirs. Time flew by, and before long, sun was beginning to set, and the Turkish guy got dressed in nice clothes explaining his use of a phone app, which got him dates with young ladies who would be down to hook up with no strings attached. I was impressed with the luck he had had in the past, and the stories of his exploits were graphic and numerous. As he left, I gathered some essentials and left the mousy Romanian to his political books while I hit the streets of Hamburg. The first stop was food. Reed had been talking about currywurst and how great it was in Germany from even before our departure to Europe. I wandered through the punk streets in my neighborhood until I found a small restaurant. Not knowing what they served, I decided to give it a chance. It paid off within minutes. I was sitting next to a window with a boat full of salted french fries, fantastic sausage, and a heaping pile of sweet curry. The meal was cheap, filling, and utterly delicious, all perfect for a backpacker. Due to the astronomically high price of alcohol in Northern Europe, I had to be semi-sparing with our consumption of the Grand Elixirs. But now, in continental Europe, alcohol was back to being cheap and easy to find. Understanding this, I found a grocery store, bought a cheap bottle of red wine, and headed back to my hostel. Along the way, the bars and restaurants were spilling over into the streets, and young people with pink mohawks and combat boots stumbled together with beer cans in hand, walking past their comrades, which had already consumed too much drink, and were sprawled sickly in the gutters. Music filled the air, and the smell of sausage mixed with urine and vomit. It all seemed to feel right. I spent the rest of the night in the garden of the hostel drinking red wine, listening to the mixing of music from the neighborhood, and writing in my journal. The words flowed from the pen with ease. So much had already happened, and being alone wasn't as bad as I had thought. Morning came with a jarring awakening as I looked at my phone and sighed at how early it was. I looked around the room and saw a mass where the Romanian was, an empty bed where the lucky Turk had been, and the third bed, which had been empty the night before, now housed an old man with a large belly and nothing on but his raggedy boxer shorts, snoring. It took me a few seconds to gather myself. It had not ceased to be strange to awaken in a room with people who had not been there before. It was absolutely the worst part of hostile life. I quietly got ready and gladly traded the snoring man for a crisp morning in the sun. The streets smelled even more of piss and vomit than the evening before, but the bakeries were producing smells of home and comfort which I couldn't deny. I walked into one and watched as a mother and her young daughter picked out their treat for the day. It was nice to experience someone else's normal life in a foreign land, and made me yearn for the normalcy which I hoped would ensue once I made it back home. The warm woman behind the counter smiled and through numerous hand gestures I left with a cinnamon roll and black coffee.
I walked happily along the sidewalks, not having a clue of where I was going. There is a man with an eye patch playing an accordion under a bridge, and I thought how cinematic life is sometimes. Before long, I came to an urban park underneath a tall white spire and watched as frogs jumped along lily pads and rabbits scurried between bushes. Nearing the main area of town, the place I had first ventured from the train station, I heard numerous church bells tolling and turned toward the sounds. I passed a large water feature with sailboats dreamily floating from one into the other, while parents played with their children along the edges and young people held beers and leaned on one another, soaking up their youth in the moment of now. Further I walked and found a neighborhood of canals and brick buildings along their edges. Large ships, transformed from their time at sea into restaurants and bars, beckoned passers-by to come aboard for a drink. A bridge with so many locks along its wire railings professed little notes of love and hearts and ambitions, and like a sign from the love gods, a young couple passed along holding hands, and the girl gently placed her head against his shoulder, and I couldn't help but think of home, and all that could have been, and how, if it had been, then I wouldn't be there then. Retrospect is strange. Canals gave way to busy business streets and tall buildings and people in suits as my walking kept taking me to places vastly different. I had heard drinking in public was legal in Germany, so I bought a can of German Pilsner and strutted along, drinking deep from the shining can and feeling odd but free. Soon I stumbled onto a street devoted to the sex trade, and couldn't help but follow a group of white-haired men and women along his path. In every window, the letters XXX were aglow in neon, and pornographic works and pictures adorned sandwich boards and marquees. I had no desire to partake in any of the shop's offerings, but it felt nice to see such things being advertised in blatant ways, and made me wish my own country wasn't so afraid of such natural urges and desires. The day was coming to an end, and I paid a visit to the currywurst shop near my hostel. With a six-pack of cheap beer, I took the rickety elevator up and entered my room expecting company, but was relieved to find none. Remembering what the front desk man had told me about their laundry service, I gathered the few clothes I had and took them down to a corner of the lobby, went back and took a shower. A couple of hours later, a knock at my door brought my clothes back clean, and I spent the rest of the night quietly alone with cold beer and a documentary on Ernest Hemingway. It was my first night truly alone in almost three weeks. With clean clothes in the shower from the night before, I felt like a human as I hurried along the morning streets, past a one-eyed accordion player, through the streets lined with churches and made it to the proper bus station with time to spare. Never wanting to experience a debacle like the one I had had in Copenhagen, I vowed to better plan for the transportation segments of my journey, but not at the expense of the spontaneity of every other part. The bus left Hamburg and sped along the Autobahn on our way to Berlin. We arrived a short time later and were dropped off in a residential neighborhood which I had not expected. Once again, I had made a mess of my planning and after a few frantic moments of feeling completely lost, I gathered my bearings and saw I was five miles from my hostel. Pissed at myself, I trudged onto the morning heat, going through neighborhoods not on any travel agency's must-see list. After what felt like a lifetime, I saw a group of people huddled around an old wall without signs or fanfare declaring what the big deal was. Curious, I turned into the area and soon found information plaques and dugout areas showing excavated rooms and tunnels, and was surprised to be standing in a section of the Berlin Wall. I spent an hour reading all the information boards and staring at the sick beauty of the demolished divider which fell the year I was born. My hostel was nearby, and before long I was at the front desk behind two party girls in their early 20s, listening to them talk about which club they would hit up in a few hours. The girls left cackling and shaking their asses in their skin-tight jeans, and I bellied up to the desk with my weak-old, scraggly beard, red loose-fitting beanie, and bags under my eyes asking for a room. With a smile, the young woman sent me down the hall with a key, and I opened the door to a tight space filled with four bunk beds. Six beds already taken. 
I threw my bag on the top bunk next to the window and introduced myself to the friendly young people already in the room. Directly across from me was a cute German girl with red bobbed hair and freckles under her eyes. She was the first to introduce herself and ask where I was from. Underneath her was an English girl dressed in all black with books spilling out of her backpack. In the same wall as my bunk was an Indian guy with a thick accent and a wonderful demeanor, obviously sharp and well-educated. The bunk above him was vacant, and across from that was a quiet Australian girl who didn't say much and was buried in a book. Below her sat the oldest person in the room, maybe 40 and Australian, a man who thought quite a lot of himself and was only in Berlin to party. The seven of us talked for an hour about our travels, how the English girl was studying abroad, the Indian was taking a holiday before university, the German girl was studying at a local university and couldn't find boarding, and how I was country hopping to find out more about myself, but in the end was running away from the later years of my 20s and the responsibilities held within. After the hour of non-stop talking finished, the Australian man sprayed a half a bottle of cologne on his too tight shirt and gave one more look in the mirror before leaving for the night. Silence followed, and I quickly unloaded my belongings onto my bunk and departed out into the waning sunlight, determined to see the sights. The first stop had to be the Brandenburg Gate, which was quite close and why I spent the few dollars extra on my hostel. With time to spare, I made it to the gate and was met by hundreds of tourists trying to capture the remarkable photo I was, the gate at sunset. Once satisfied, I weaved my way through the throng of people and hurried down to see the victory column. The long stretch of road began to darken as fellow tourists with cameras in hand began running to snap a final photo of the day. I reached the busy intersection just in time to catch the purple clouds mixed with the orange of the dropping sun. Without a celestial deadline, I explored the column up close, saw the bullet holes still chipped into its side, and left feeling the gravity of the city I was in, and the scattered history of a time not so long ago. I made my way back to the Brandenburg Gate, which now had far less people, and stood admiring the craftsmanship and beauty of the architecture. The streets of Berlin were so clean and mixed with the crisp night air and close to cloudless sky, the aura felt welcoming and pristine. Before heading back to my hostel, I stood long looking at the Berlin Cathedral and how much like a castle it resembled. I made it back to my room with the lights on and conversation flowing. There was a vending machine in the lobby which sold cheap German beer and I came back with a few cans cold and sweating in my arms. The night went on for some time talking about European politics, French hipsters, and how there is no such thing as free water in Germany. The lights went out well after midnight as my head was swirling and the conversation of the day replayed over and over in my head. I thought of the young girls I had seen earlier and wondered where they ended up, and if their clubs and expensive drinks gave them as much joy as my cheap living, dirty backpacking lifestyle was giving me. The light from the curtain window shone right into my eyes as I looked at my phone and saw the demonic number 730 display black against a white background. I, and I imagine the rest of the room, were jolted awake by the party-hard Australian slamming our door, pulling off his shoes, literally throwing himself into his bunk, then proceeding to snore extremely loud. Beds creaked as bodies rolled over angrily. I tried the same tactic, but knew instantly I wasn't worth it. I was awake and the day's countdown had begun. I slipped off the top bunk and instantly felt my brain clang back and forth against my dehydrated skull. Another morning, another hangover. I readied myself and was out into the German sunshine without hesitation, passed a beagle in a wheelchair, and continued on to the nearest bakery for black coffee and a pastry. With my head remedied by the early morning chill, I rushed down to the Brandenburg Gate, the Victory Column, Charlottesburg Palace, and by noon I was in a large park with a farmer's market going on. In dire need of clothes, I walked up and down the aisles of tents and awnings, taking in the exotic smells of food and goods, most of which I had never seen. 
After a couple trips through, I purchased socks from an old gypsy woman with sparkling eyes and an easy smile who wished me luck with the rest of my travels. Still in need of shirts, I ventured into a nearby mall and purchased two shirts, each depicting different scenes of Americana, one Portland, Oregon, and the other a series of photos of the California Redwoods. I explained to the apathetic German team behind the counter how cool it was to buy shirts depicting my home so far away, but all I got was a couldn't-care-less smirk and an outstretched hand wanting money. The rest of the day was spent wandering through various residential areas of metropolitan Berlin, trying to watch a movie at a gigantic IMAX megaplex, settling on donuts instead and heading back to my hostel to read and plan the next leg of my trip. It turns out, not every day of a three-month adventure has to be crazy. As long as the day ends with a greater appreciation for life and the growth of human spirit, it is a success. Almost exactly as a morning previous, my last day in Berlin began at 7, with a partying Australian coming back to the hostel and snoring loudly. Without the hangover, I saw the opportunity to make it out the door faster than the day previous, feeling like I had gotten a great start on winning the morning. The first part of the day was spent chasing cathedrals, their chiming bells guiding me along the way. Once I had my fill, I went to Museum Island and refused to pay the ridiculous price of admission, so I walked around looking at the ornate architecture and statues all over the grounds. On one of my wanderings from the island to a restaurant, I walked along a canal, through a couple of tunnels, and came across an old black man beautifully playing his trumpet at the far end of the final tunnel, made bright by so much graffiti. I stopped and semi-head myself against a wall of his tunnel and listened to the music swell and recede with joy than tragedy. That is the thing about large cities. No matter where you end up, there is something to catch your eye. Something amazing and something which will stand out far beyond the sights or what lie in a museum. In the early afternoon, I made it back to the IMAX theater where the line was much more manageable and decided to go ahead and watch the American movie which would soothe my homesickness. I emerged from the cinema feeling glad in where I was and the decision I made to travel to Europe but sad in hearing the familiar American accents while I walked amongst a myriad others every day. Like a sign from the heavens, a McDonald's reared its ugly golden arts head at the most inopportune time, and the feelings of home and comfort swelled. I sat and devoured a Big Mac and thought of home in the daily lives all those I knew were leading. I left the dingy establishment feeling a bit more whole and made my way toward the bus deep which would take me to Poland. With time to spare, I ventured through a large park with beautiful statues of famous people from Germany's past. It felt nice to walk through nature and enjoy the time of calm before the chaos inherent in country hopping. I emerged from the park near the victory column and watched as a lady on top danced against the sunset of my last few hours in Berlin. Darkness fell over the city as I walked through increasingly sketchy neighborhoods until I arrived at the main bus depot. The people milling about the depot could have been extras from a slick British gangster film with their shifty eyes and curious demeanors. These were people who were traveling on the cheap, and I imagine some were either running from something or someone in their lives who may not have had the best intentions. After an hour of waiting, my bus showed up, a double-decker rig with two drivers who smelled of stale cigarettes and cheap coffee. I boarded and found my seat on the second story of the bus. We pulled out of the station along the twinkling street lamps of Berlin. I watched as the bright lights of the city began to diminish until there was only the darkness of the country landscape and a cloud-blocked moon to guide us. End of chapter.